0: to this week's episode of tech talk i'm your host michael amorgan and with us this week we have a very special guest anna piperol i i did get that right right yes you did okay i'll make sure (laughs) uh she is if i remember correctly the marketing director of Mm e-estonia mm-hmm
1: Well, let's say marketing is part of the direction, but overall direction and management would be uh, the exact uh, definition. Gotcha.
0: Okay, well, can you tell us a little bit about what you do and who you are and what not?
1: Yeah, so initially I'm considering myself a true e-believer and digital native uh, coming from Estonia and uh, from my lifetime i've been dealing a lot with export promotion and marketing projects uh, branding projects uh, of course done a lot of international speaking at conferences and events uh, around the world to inspire the world to do this digital transformation especially when it comes to the public sector uh, which is uh, well relatively stagnant and uh, my passion of course lies in the digitalization of uh, of governments, uh, for the sake of the citizens, for their convenience, because I believe that bureaucracy is a thing of the past and it must really go away as soon as possible. Um, and where my personal exa- example, an Estonian example in this case, um, is a great inspiration for the whole world on how, how simple and fast can services actually be provided um, and how transparent and uh, trustful this relationship can be. Okay. And
0: before we get into too much, um, can you tell us a little bit about Estonia? I know a lot of people have a, a, some kind of idea about it and blockchain. And, like, can, you, can you give us a little bit of a rundown?
1: Uh, yeah. We're flattered that knowing about Estonia means that people know about blockchain and connect this uh, uh, specifically to our topic. It's like a, a brand that we have been uh, working very um, hard for. Uh, but um, Estonia is really a small country, size of a Denmark, approximately, um, and with only 1.3 million of population. Uh, so, which means we have pretty much a lot of space, wonderful nature, very clean environment when it comes to the, uh And nearly so really no traffic jams, a very old medieval town in the capital at the seaside. And so, like, half, a, half of Estonia, at least, has a seashore. Uh, which is a must for a great country right Uh, can't imagine something without water Um, so estonia really is uh, historically a post-soviet country how some people perceive it but uh, we really have a lot of cultural uh, impact that was done by other nations throughout the centuries uh, whether they are german precision and quality uh, or or Swedes and Scandinavian approach overall, or Danes, uh, with a more trusting relationship with the government and openness of the society. Um, so I would say this region overall is kind of more open and more trusting the governments than any other uh, region, well, for different reasons, historical probably as well. Mm. And uh, we had a beautiful opportunity to develop really fast in the last 27 years uh, to build a new country and a democracy and a capitalism from scratch when we regained independence in the 90s uh, from Soviet time. And uh, during the days, it was pretty much chaos that we inherited um, for quite some time we were trying to look for you know oil gas gold and all of these beautiful natural resources well forest is the one that we have around 40 square kilometers per person that's a lot <laughs> you probably won't meet anyone if you go uh, collecting mushrooms or berries or just swimming in the sea you'll be so traveler but um, uh, the size of the country itself has is placing a lot of um, and the resources lacking, of course, is placing a lot of um, tension when it comes to where do you get them and how do you spend them. So we just couldn't afford building a beautiful bureaucracy and just copying um, any Western ideas just to one. Onto one. Uh, we did a lot of research in trying to understand the best practices. But what we realized uh, that the biggest resource that we can possess it lies between our ears, which is the brains. As well from Soviet times, we inherited the Institute of Cryptography, and this leads to many cryptographic solutions that we're using over here, and um, internet and computers. Because with such density of population, which is very uneven, like it is in Estonia, where a least half of the population lives in the capital or nearby and the others are just scattered around the country it's super costly uh, not only for the government to provide the services and open up uh, real physical government offices that people can visit during the hours but even for for the banks or any private sector company that has to provide customer service I remember near 2000 the bank had a service where a cash machine was put inside a van and the van was traveling uh, throughout the villages so people could withdraw their pensions because uh, it was not really cost effective for the bank to have a cash machine over there like in every smallest villages. Wow. <laughs> so I can imagine the when you're in the strict environment conditions then you become really creative like in nature you know in in a harsh weather conditions you you design some really warm clothes and you build some real like solid houses and uh, this always has been the driver for innovation and for for the evolutions in every way um so we can say that because of this uh, resources lacking all of the time, we started to think about automatization, digital services, um, internet use and those things for the for the efficiency perspective um, much earlier than all of the welfare countries. And today we are much ahead of many, I don't want to brag too much, but factually there is no other country that has the strongest digital identification in place that most of the people have. Uh, there is no uh, other government that uses blockchain for the sake of, of integrity at this level. There is no other country that uh, provides 99% of all state services through the online channels, no matter where you are, and you. it's not just printable PDF forms whatsoever. Um, so, Wicked leapfrog and all the legacy and the beautiful things of bureaucracy, checkbooks uh, landline phones fax machines these are the dinosaurs and we don't have them anymore here
0: (laughs) okay that's uh, wow (laughs) now I know you guys have been working for a long time on this Uh, yes the blockchain situation was in I think it started in 2008 But you guys have been working on e-governance and a lot of other stuff from even before then, am I correct?
1: Yeah, in fact, um, well, after the Soviet Union collapse, we kind of... uh, I wish we had a beautiful vision of how this could be in 27 years, but it's going to be a a faulty (laughs) statement because it's kind of a very lucky, successful way of how it all turned out. And yesterday we have a vision and it all came together. And this was the result of a beautiful experimentation in many uh, cases that mostly big established countries um, cannot afford. But we were really hungry for doing it our way from getting rid of the Soviet past, from uh, setting up a clear rules. And as you know, the German blood somewhere inside us was Shouting to get, <laughs> and um, we started with internet promotion in '96 already. So the Wi-Fi areas were created in all schools and government institutions as a first step, and uh, in the end of the '90s, 90, so '98, 90, '99, we had already established. The private and public data protection and like regulations uh the data protection act the digital signature act somewhere in in the 2000s that stated that the digital signature will have the same legal power as the physical signature so you can basically sign anything and just email it and real e-governance solutions based on the legislation as uh, really uh, when looking at the world's development there is no technological or financial barriers for becoming um, or having a digital government and uh, delivering services online. These reasons are usually political. It's a lack of consensus or a lack of trust, uh, or there is no enough, uh, not enough um, kind of power that is given to certain politicians uh, to to make the systems you know work together, especially in a big countries like Germany or USA. Um, And for us setting this legal background is the first step that allowed the data exchange later on as well because it regulated before who takes care of what data, what data is collected overall, who is uh, and how the data is uh, shared, possessed, how it's shared with a citizen, what kind of services can be delivered. This all comes and is based on this basic uh, legal framework. In 2000, we had the first e-solution Uh, that is called e-tax and since then so for 18 years we have been declaring taxes uh, online the process takes around three minutes of your time i know it can take a few months and an accountant in the u.s and actually in many other countries it can be really tricky but the way our e-tax works has a lot of motivation for the citizen. so first of all the companies are obliged to declare taxes for people. So the companies are providing the data to the tax authority, first of all. Then when I'm logging into my tax uh, declaration with my state-issued identity card, and in the beginning the login was done through the banking system, then um, I allow the tax authority to pull the data together uh, and also they contact the population registry to see what is my marital status if I have a family declaration or do I have kids and who are my kids if I've said that I've paid some um, costs for their education or their part. Because universities and like study institutions will be pushing the data to the tax authority about people who paid for education as well. So in a a sense, so the data is running together dated. data with the bank so literally the tax authority is asking the bank online whether the taxes in these amounts were paid and the bank says yes or no without revealing how much money you have in the bank accounts um, or the tax authority is not revealing your tax declaration it's kind of a yes or no uh, type of validation but thanks to this validation we can have a pre filled Um, tax declaration in just a few moments. You can see the whole calculation process, you can amend it if you wish, but you don't have to be a mathematical genius, Um, you don't have to hire an accountant, uh, and you will see the amount of uh, that overpaid tax straight ahead. And you will get this money back in five working days time. Uh, if it's a simple declaration, if you didn't amend anything to that. And so 95% of people don't amend anything, and just in the first seven years of the use of the e-tax, we've reached over 90% of uh, usage of it. Obviously people hated declaring taxes, now it's done so simple, they get the money back, they see it straight ahead, you don't have to, you know, do anything or go anywhere, like, this is how you design a very motivated um, service. government gets the taxes declared like everybody are happy (laughs) you won't believe it but estonians love declaring taxes nowadays they're waiting for the time when they can actually log in and see how much money they will get back especially if you've done some studies or you've done some charities or like it's really fascinating how they shifted this
0: that's that's really interesting like i yeah, you're right. A lot of people over on this side of the world hate doing taxes, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> that's, that's well, not only
1: paying taxes is kind of uh, not really pleasant, but then if you really have to work so hard in order to, to pay taxes and then declare it after all, because the government still needs you to do some more things than it just getting your money, like doesn't make any sense. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um. I know you guys have been working, I think you kind of touched on it a little bit, or a little bit earlier um, with the e-identity and the like ID cards and stuff like that. Can you tell us a bit about that?
1: Yeah, uh, I'd be happy to tell you, to explain to you how this kind of view to the security of, of the e-state is, in our opinion, and the strongest digital identification is the first step. To this because once you don't know who is in front of the computer or you are giving people some you know basic passwords or you give them well you cannot log into a state's data using Google or Facebook like that would be <laughs> the quintessence <laughs> of the privacy <laughs> uh, breaking in a way but a state provided strongest digital identity elements. In Estonia, it's called the ID, an ID card. Um, this works as a, as a tool and a key to open access, not only to all of the state databases, um, self-service portals that they are actually one state portal that com- combines it all together. Uh, so it's easy to find them. Taxes, for example, have external system, so you can log in there directly. Uh, The business registry and land registry have uh, their own um, self-service system. The vehicle registry, for example, have their own self-service system. But you can log into all of these different places with the same state-issued ID card. At the strongest level, as it has no data in the card itself, the card is with a chip, but it contains the certificates, the encrypted files. So it's like, in a way, two-factor authentication, but in a more stronger, non-hackable way. Unless you have a quantum computer, I'm not (laughs) sure. Maybe maybe the The latest I've heard not stable. So you can break the cryptography that is used around the world, not only Estonians. But till now, no one was. Successful enough to break the cryptography within the ID card and we do use uh, two pin codes to start this whole cryptographical decryption process and uh, This allows the government to know who's in front of the computer like 100% or 99.9 Well mathematicians would say something They would you know argue with a hundred? But This is our tool, and uh, with an ID card, not only you can access all the public services, well 99% of things you can think of, with an exception of getting married, as we don't want to compete with Las Vegas, getting divorced, as if Estonian woman does get angry, then there might be consequences, um, so you don't want her to divorce you like in an hour, so let her better cool, cool down a little bit. So she would have one month to think about it and then have to physically come. Or real estate deals that are also not done online uh, for security purposes. And the idea is to, of course, explain people all the small conditions um, that comes together with the buying of, of land, all the restrictions, the hypothecs, and so on. So someone there has to be a smarter person who will explain that even to the older people. But apart from this, with an ID card, you get identified and you get access not only through private data that the government collected but to 99% of their services online. Uh, you can use the card itself physically for traveling within European Union and Schengen zone. Uh, we use it uh, instead of a driving license or technical documentation to the car. You don't have to carry those two things. When you're within Estonia, we only need them actually to get abroad, just like the passport because well, neither Japanese or Americans are letting us in with our state issued ID card yet. Um, yeah, passport is not compulsory in Estonia, and maybe that can seem fascinating for some some nations. Um, so the ID card is used for basically everything in our life, and um, this serves a key. So confidentiality and privacy with access to the data, this is the element that regulates that particular security concern. So the police guys to get access to the police related databases, they will log in with their ID card. The doctors who log in so they can get access to your health record. So all of their movements and accesses, they will be saved with a log file and there is no such hacker who can actually delete those log files. Partly because we use another technology for that. So the second very important piece um, in security game is uh, called uh, the X-Road. And the X-Road is a perfect tool for enabling data exchange between different types of databases and registries. The best part is that no one has to rebuild whatever they were working with they have free hands in developing their own e-services, but they can uh, reuse and get the information that is missing to decide on, on the services provision or whatever, of course, it's le- if it's legal or there's a citizen who wants this type of service and he allows the state exchange. And this is um, kind of the core technology that we implemented in 2001 and uh, it has been serving us since then so due to this data exchanges and the built-in rules about who can get what what data and when we keep the data like eggs in different boxes so you will never we don't have central super databases whatsoever the vehicle registry will only have vehicle related data and uh, the medical systems will have just the medical data, they will not have addresses and the stuff like that. And only the population registry will be the institution that has the numbers of the documents, uh, um, your marital status, let's say, everything from your birth certificate, death certificates, marital certificates, succession wills, these kind of things. And no other institution, This is part of the principle that I love that is missing in most uh, of the countries. This once only principle. The data is only once collected from the citizen. No institution will be allowed to collect it again, like your documents or birth certificates once you presented it to the population registry and they have registered it and it's in their system. So whoever else government institution needs it for whatever decision they need it, they will ask from the population registry in regards to this uh, data. So this means that citizen doesn't have to, um, you know, go to different governmental bodies at all.
0: It allows them to pretty much just sit at home, like you said, and pretty much manage the entire, well, pretty much everything that they need online.
1: Exactly. Um, and I cannot stress enough uh, how more secure it is, because how this privacy um, is usually perceived that, okay, if these government institutions cannot exchange data or even not allowed to exchange data between each other, uh, so they will not get a full file about you, like, this is the reasoning, I guess. Then, in reality, what happens is that there are so many different governmental bodies. They all have your name, your da- date of birth, your address, and like a stack of other data on top of that. Of course, it can get outdated, but it is scattered in, in kind of super, date, super database uh, amounts. In local municipalities in different governmental bodies and when someone hacks a separate Maybe less protected local municipality database and they get everything they get the full full stack of the information and In our point of view. This is not the, the secure way. This is not how you can guarantee privacy mm-hmm. and Another aspect of course is how? How on paper, on earth, can you see the fingerprints if someone, some doctor has looked at your medical health record, how will you know who else looked at that? As even if you will try this investigation and collect the fingerprints, there is no date uh, mm. on them So to understand. In technological world, thanks to the ID card, thanks to the X-road and the data exchange and the rules that are built in to the system, you can really... Make sure that unappropriate people will never get access to specific data. That those who need the data will always get the data in time and it will be adequate. It will be trustworthy. No one will be duplicating the tasks, which is a great saving. We've calculated that this uh, data exchange system, the XROAD, is actually saving our country over 800 years of time every year. Wow. Calculate the number of transactions it's over 500 million a year and uh, considering that 15 minutes would be the Typical, you know going to an office or sending an email with some application So, so this is how much we can save today And you've also mentioned the blockchain right? yes And mm. uh, Blockchain is a very hot and sexy word nowadays uh, mm. thanks to Bitcoin But our blockchain is, well, like Bitcoin doesn't equal blockchain. It's important to understand that blockchain is a concept. It's a distributed ledger. It's a a calendar where some pieces of data is saved and that has a public uh, accountability. Um, So there is a drastic differences to the Estonian blockchain that we are using and the, the blockchain technology that the Bitcoin is using for financial operations. Um, so if I just have to explain in a nutshell, for those of you, maybe I'm not sure how many uh, of the audience is really tech saving and how deep should I go into the hashing and roots and Merkle trees and uh, all of that?
0: <laughs> um, I would say keep it Surface level for the most part, <laughs> maybe Thank just a God. little under the surface, not not like root deep.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll try to get it because when I talk talk to some of the cryptographers in um, in Guard Time, the company that's providing this blockchain technology for for government uh, like my, I started to have a headache, and, and it developed <laughs> so gradually that uh, I wasn't sure that my abilities uh, are up to this <laughs> overall, but. I I would bring a very simple example to to show you what what the blockchain does uh, for our government. It's a parallel, like I would parallel it with uh, with a human body. Like you know a human body is a very complex organism. Mm -hmm. It has different organs that work for different purposes. They have different body cells, different structure, there are different rules. Uh, Some of the body cells are young and they just get born and some of them get old. So this kind of oxygen exchange is happening all the time. It's like it just works perfectly, right? So if the government would be a human organism, you can imagine that the processes are pretty much similar. Mm -hmm. You know, one has to provide something to another, and it's always moving, always changing. So if maybe in the physical world, uh, we could, you know, put a fence around us, like a real fence, like in, well, in technological world today, it's uh, antivirus programs that are used, then then yeah, probably no one will get to our house. But when you think of the storing data digitally, or like a government being somewhere digital, then no physical fence or antivirus program would actually protect you, as you can have some insider things happening, yep. and this is the 50% of all the um, issues, in fact. And so, um, not a very pleasant idea. But when people usually get sick, then they don't know that they're sick for quite quite a long time. Mm-hmm. And especially if it's some kind of um, you know, disease like cancer, it's basically it's your own body cells yep. that gone to the dark side. And people don't know for one year, two years, three years until it's really too late because there are too many body cells and it starts to impact another organs. But what if we had such detection tool that will be kind of a in a way data centric, like centric to to the cells that will monitor our organism 24/7, and in case there is the first cancerous body cell that emerged, then this will you will be informed like the next second when it happens, you will know exactly where it happened, in which amount it happened, in which organ it happened, so. You can't stop, probably, this from happening like a cancerous body cell, but you can actually save yourself from the damage. So this is, in a nutshell, what the blockchain does for the governments. It is uh, constantly monitoring for any issues, whether they're deleted log files. So blockchain is making sure that log files can never be deleted. Even at special services or whoever the, there is, there is no such person that can break the math and put it back together. Um, it just uh, provides the ultimate truth, not just the trust. Um, the blockchain is used for making, for ensuring the integrity, specifically integrity aspect, not the data exchange, not the other security aspects, but the integrity aspect of of the data. And the rules and the software components. For example, it is used for securing the healthcare information that is digitally stored. Uh, different auditing access log files, um, succession documents that have to be stored for 200 years unchanged. So, how can we guarantee that they are actually not going to be changed? Um, it is uh, securing data in the business registry. Uh, it secures our laws that are actually stored uh, digitally, not on paper. It is securing um, land information in the e-land registry, uh, court files. Um, so there are many things that they, where the integrity aspect. It's not like you know someone will see how much money you have in the bank account. The question is. If the money at your bank account is just gone, and the bank says they did nothing, and you said you did nothing, then like, how do you know where the money is? (laughs) Or like, if there's no trace, right? So the integrity aspect is really critical nowadays. And after the cyber incident in 2007, when there was a simpler DDoS attack happening to our country, the father of the X-Road of the data exchange, so, so cryptographical solution, uh, actually understood that we didn't have any integrity um, solutions for this. And then uh, they established a company together with an Irish businessman back in 2008 um, to, to develop a, a technology that would address the integrity uh, issues. And we didn't know it was a blockchain at the time. We found out it was a blockchain when the Bitcoin was uh, making waves uh, in all in all the media because the concept is just the same. So the blockchain is signing the data and creates a digital fingerprints that are just representing the data. Like if I would have a bit of your DNA, I would not be able to actually reproduce you or from this uh, DNA cell tell your hair. Well, if I would not be here, I could be a deep scientist. But with this DNA, having you and the piece of DNA, I could tell, like, did you change or not? (laughs) (laughs) So we keep these digital fingerprints and we save them to the blockchain. And because of, uh, we only save, not the data itself, the data is stored wherever it was collected in the servers um, around the country, in different ministries and organizations databases but the fingerprints are the ones that are saved into the blockchain. And one of the functions of the blockchain, um, it's a private blockchain that we have. Um, actually, I think in US, the Department of Defense and uh, Lockheed Martin as well use this blockchain. It's provided by part um, And uh, initially this blockchain due to those characteristics that we don't have to store the data and we are not using it for storage of the data within the blockchain like Bitcoin does with financial operations or the data about the financial operations, then um, it is super scalable, it is super lightweight, it doesn't uh, have impact on the environment whatsoever and we can sign the whole data in the world. Plus it's quantum immune due to the hash functions that are used. And um, so, in every sense, it provides us the real-time awareness of the situation. So we cannot stop the cyber attacks from happening, but we can identify that they're happening the next second when it really happens. And well, till now, I hope after this uh, talk, there's not going to be 1,000 more uh, guys who will attempt <laughs> to do it. But either we were protecting ourselves pretty well with this triple model—the blockchain, the X Road, and the ID Guard. Uh, well, of course, other things as well that I will not reveal this time. <laughs> but, or just Estonia wasn't interesting for hackers for some reasons.
0: Now, can you tell me what the difference is between the ID card, your mobile, your mobile ID, and smart ID?
1: Um, yeah, of course. As we're living in the modern world, mobile phone has become like a more handy tool. Um, some people say it's the extension of your hand. It's not no more. A gadget because i don't know how about you it's really hard for me not to reach to my phone when it buzzes (laughs) it's actually very scary even for a grown-up person like we're not kids anymore but Uh, so the mobile um, is also used um, as one of the tools for identification and uh, those people who don't use the id card in a physical uh, form of the card they can always use a mobile ID which is a sim card that has also certificates on top and provides uh, strong identification and of course opportunities to give digital signatures just using your mobile phone um, so meaning from anywhere you are well if you have a computer anyways an internet you can use the ID card as well from from anywhere you are but just mobile is a bit more convenient it just requires mobile protocol. It doesn't require internet connectivity if you're using a browser or with a computer, and it is a separate device. Uh, so mobile ID is quite popular. Around 15% of people use it, while the ID card uh, users percentage is uh, 98%. So most of the population, uh, so both uh, citizens and permanent residents, so they all have ID card in their pocket together with a identification and digital signature capabilities and uh, the recent development by the banks um, just maybe uh, a year or, or two it's a smart ID it's an app that also uses certificates also provides strong identification but since the certificates are not stored on some physical device but some are digitally stored differently from the ID card chip or the mobile ID sim card then um, it is not accredited for public services yet. So you can use it for banking, for telco, for any uh, uh, anything else. But the ID card and mobile ID uh, are having the same legal power when accessing the services. So not only access the private the public services, but you access the private sector services, whether it's your university, whether you want to log into your telco company to increase your internet speed or buy something, or I don't know, use it in the library. There is just so many ways uh, how you use your digital IDs. And I think I was uh, working in a bank many years ago. I think over 10 already, somewhere in 2002. And uh, I remember the time when we were, it was the time when the ID card was promoted yet. And the banks were the first ones um Well, after 3000 hours of lobby work, of course, (laughs) they were convinced that they should start using state issued identity for identifying their customers uh, because they thought we will not be investing in the security. We will use it free of charge. Uh, Our customers will, we want to stream customers online, right? Because we will save a lot. Mm -hmm. And for the years, actually, banks have eliminated around 40% of the Mm -hmm. workforce. Uh, because of the self-service environment and the great internet banking opportunities and well in Estonia it really makes sense because bank cannot have bank branches everywhere and so uh, when I was working in the bank, we literally were teaching the older ladies on how to use the cash machine for making uh, utility payments or uh, why should they get a bank card for seniors that will give them discount in the apathics and uh, For other people who wanted to make transactions over 200 euros uh, Per day. This is the limit set you know, for password cards and all the you know, the old-school ways of identification and there was no limits for transactions with an id card or mobile id and we were teaching people on how how to to do that and the banks were even even uh, giving out the card readers free of charge so they ripped off so many benefits after doing this change you, you you can't imagine but of course it took a lot of time to get them on board and this was not an easy process But much like easier it. <laughs> Yeah, But you know, have you seen ballet? Ballet is a great example of a very long hard work and a lot of tears, sweat and blood. Uh, but when you come to watch the ballet, you know, the this is perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we've had our blood, tears and uh, all, all of that, but you don't share that on the first date, right?
0: <laughs> so, okay, so you told me about E identity. You told me about X Road and um, you, you, you kind of touched on that you guys use it for law, um, like courts and stuff like that for uh, land papers, um, even health, which is, I think, great. Um, and I, I believe you guys also use it for prescriptions and stuff like that, too.
1: Um, yeah, really, to, I'd like to point out maybe uh, the healthcare field as it is really topical in, in in the whole world because healthcare information is uh, the most sensitive type of information. And for centuries, I would say, as long as the Hippocratic Oath is in place and doctors are operating uh, based on that, it kind of today is a bit outdated view because uh, the Hippocratic Oath doesn't have paragraphs about sharing the information with a patient or consulting with a patient about the preferred treatment or about, you know, sharing the data between um, different or, or like how, how this should be done. And there are so many uh, things or even revealing some information about a person's health. So not to, you know, stress him too much. Or not revealing everything and in today's reality this is just a ridiculous situation mm. so in Estonia in 2008 uh, the, the hospitals were obliged to digitalize the data and share it with the patients so today we have a patient uh, file well basically a portal that you can log in with your card so you don't have to store this data anywhere it's going to be digitally stored so you can access it so all licensed doctors can access it, no matter of which hospital they are representing. Um, and it, it, is, it means that the basic basis for this type of, of data exchange is um, the belief of the data ownership. The data belongs to the patient. It's not the hospital who is the owner of the data, which means they have to share it with a patient they have to make sure that the patient can share it to whomever they want. If it's my friend doctor, I will show him the same x-ray I have done in another hospital if I want a second opinion and they should be totally fine because I do want to get the best healthcare service. And in some countries, even in Norway today, just at the conference recently there, if uh, the person is treated in different hospitals, it was- treated today there's some emergency case and previously been treated in another hospital they're literally driving his files using a taxi Ooh. like um, i was oh, i cannot imagine like uh, maybe it's in the village i hope to do that but um the best way <laughs> how, how to arrange things and we're really lucky to have a digital health record that has uh, data from different hospitals about me, about the way how I was treated, about the medication that I was taking in, about my uh, vaccinations, all in one place. And of course, our struggle is uh, to make sure doctors have enough time to digitalize all of the new information they're producing, as we don't have uh, really a lot of doctors and they're not IT specialists at the same time. Uh, But it does uh, create a better awareness and control over your own health data because doctors can access your medical health record for two 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 purpose or two reasons i would say first of all they log in with an id card or a mobile id so they get identified to make sure that they really actually legally Mm -hmm. have access but even if they have access and i decided not to block my medical health record and most of the people in estonia didn't block it because you never know what kind of doctors you're gonna go to or happen to be uh, then legally doctors still cannot out of curiosity check the patient's data um, just like that it has to be a querying doctor because i as a patient will see the full and detailed log file with the dates with the time minutes the doctor's code and the type of information that was accessed by by any doctor who will see this or look at this and if i complain this will mean that Not only this doctor can um, get a fine or some kind of other prosecution, but he can lose his license, he can lose his life job. And this is not what he was uh, actually studying for 10 years. You know, you don't usually risk these kind of things because it is so transparent that there is no other ways how you can overcoming this without leaving a traces to get access to the private data, and we've had this with some of the politicians. Um, in a, one of um, one of our more active parties, um, the leader of the party became uh, ill, and he's like an older person, older guy, and of course, media was super excited to know if he's going to come back to the politics uh, because the elections were coming, and like created a big buzz, um, and so. It finally leaked into the newspapers what kind of issues he had. But at the same time, when the Data Protection Agency started to investigate this matter, it was pretty obvious and clear that in the log file of this patient in the eHealth, it was seen who were the names of the people that actually had an inappropriate access to this medical information. And therefore, they were really... Prosecuted, um, so you get this more control than in any paper world. Of course, humans' curiosity, you know, is technology can can never fully beat that. Yeah, <laughs> but the low level, the middle level corruption and the issues, they will always be either impossible or very visible. Mm. I, I I wish I could say that we don't have corruption at all, but I don't know for sure. <laughs> but when looking at the statistics of how much trust already there is from the citizens to the digital services, to the government, the police being one of the most trusted government authority, over eighty-five percent of people trust police. Um, probably not all the politicians, but. <laughs> You know, trust is a, if we just define trust as um, the government's uh, capability which is defined by whether they can actually design a service or in terms of the cyber attack, what do they do? Are they able to protect us and protect our data? Mm, Whether their government promises, if the government says that this portal will work and you will be able to access the service, then you actually get it in the end then there is the availability of the service itself itself so if it's down for some reasons or down for many reasons or like in the election you cannot vote online uh, like this would be the 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 trust would be lost because the service is actually not available um so there are different aspects to, that create this trust and i think the biggest uh, takeaway that we have seen that e-governance is actually a tool that impacts greatly the development of trust between the government and and the citizens, because the government is open. It shows what's the information that they've collected about you. Um, It is revealing how the information was accessed. You're able to control or repair mistakes you're able to get the services when you need them or the less bureaucratic man, um, manner. And all of this together for years, you know, kind of uh, builds up this trust to a level when you can design e health and e prescription or uh, use i voting uh, nationwide. And uh, this will be fully accepted uh, by, by the population.
0: That's, honestly, I look forward to seeing with you guys what you guys come up with in the future as well. Because from what I've seen, you guys have been putting forth so far, I am honestly impressed. And I'm sure a lot of people are as well, which I think is probably the reason why you guys have made as much waves as you guys have so far.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, of course, for this recognition. Um, I really just hope that my talk will create more demand from the citizen side, from the normal people side, because politicians usually reflect what the citizens want. So if we all want digital identity and transparency and uh, there are ways how to get it done, then just we're going to all win from this much more. Uh, But in Estonia, if I have to bring out the the best or the biggest um, areas of our future development, We uh, in the political program, we have such aspects and keywords like zero bureaucracy. Um, So zero bureaucracy would mean that the society is working seamlessly in a way that the services themselves are so invisible and convenient to citizens. And this will be achieved because of the, the data exchange and the reuse of data that uh, can be done, thanks to the X-Road and other parameters, of course. So um, just uh, to bring you a few examples, today in Estonia, you can get a notice from the government if your driving license is expiring. So this is kind of a automatic, uh, informing that your driving license is expiring uh this is the self-service portal the cheapest for you is to go online and and, to request a new driving license so i myself just did it recently and i was fascinating fascinated how how it was done actually when i logged in with my mobile id i just picked the picture Um, i was offered the one from the id card and from the last driving license so which one do i want Then, they still had my health check valid, the one that I brought last time uh, when getting my first driving license. So it's for 10 years, so it's still eyesight and mental health, it's still valid. So all I had to do is put my address, where do I want the car delivered, because all the other issues were kind of tick boxed, and pay the governmental fee. So this whole process took like five minutes, and in three days time I had my driving license in my mailbox. Wow. So this is how it works today, but what we want to get as the next step is that if your driving license is expired, then why doesn't the government, if they have all the data about you, just, you know, send it to you, get it done. Mm-hmm. Or if you've been married and you need to, in the population, registry the system, well, you, when you were registering your marriage, then you said which surname you want and so on. So if you need to exchange the documents, then why don't they just order you the new documents so you'll just come to pick it up. Mm -hmm. Um, I would be even okay if the government would automatically bill me for this kind of convenience. Um, Or a great example would be from the social benefits and services. Like today, people really have to work hard and to prove that they're eligible to get some uh, family benefits or, you know, different kind of social benefits that they're existing but um, when i think about a a pregnant lady or like a lady who who is uh, given birth the hospital is the one that kind of registered the birth of the person and uh, creates a unique identifier for this person and shares this information to actually the population registry so from that on when woman can and just pick a name for her child see how popular the name is in Estonia first Um, just follow the basic rules yeah I've done that my name is super popular over 8,000 people (laughs) have my name yeah for my daughter, I'm thinking uh, or a more rare name you know but um, anyways (laughs) when um, the woman Applies for these uh, kind of services and the parental benefits, of course. Yes, it is done online. It's super convenient. You just fill up the gaps and then you wait for the money to come. It will take probably 15 minutes, no more of your time. But if I think even more deeply, like, why the hell does she even have to do it? Just imagine if the hospital knows she had a baby and the tax authority knows how much money she was receiving before and that social security knows when she went to her leave and uh, you know, they just talk to each other, calculate her mother's salary and just pay her. Why not? Which mother would say no to uh, parental benefits? Like I didn't meet this kind of lady yet. so anyways, this is where, uh, like on the bigger scale, uh, this is what zero bureaucracy would mean. That the process will be eliminated for the citizen as much as possible um, because we have the data. We don't collect actually more data than, than the, in the U.S. We collect less data because we can reuse the, the data that others collected if it's reasonable.
0: Makes sense. Of course,
1: legal yes. and so on. Like, for example, the, the private insurance companies, like there's some insurance brokers. So when I log in online, uh, I can get different offerings for insurance of my car. And how do they know that I actually own this car? It's because when I apply for this, to calculate this, I put the car plate number and they connect to the vehicle registry to see if I'm the owner of this car, if I have a what kind of rating I have? Have I done any crimes, drinking driving and all of that? They get all the car information with all the VIN codes and the complicated stuff. and they just calculate uh, how much I have to pay. Um, so these kind of collaborations are very often happening, and it just makes life so much more easier. But insurance company might speak about, without me actually wanting their insurance, they would never have a chance to get some data from the vehicle registry Um, so and of course uh, i'm not sure have you heard anything about the e-residency
0: no i haven't if you could tell me a little bit about that because i know there's the whole immigrants like people want to move from one side of the world to the other and like become citizens or residents or however it is so if you could tell me a bit about that
1: yeah so just to wrap up our discussion um, and finish it on a high note yes e-residency program is um, basically a governmental startup that we uh, started around three years ago and it's specifically not citizenship it doesn't have anything with a permanent residency in estonia or visa to european union or like any any kind of doesn't give you legal um, rights for any social stuff in the country uh, which means you don't have to abandon your own country and this is actually the point of it. E-residency card itself is very similar to the ID card. It gives you a chance to get identified online with the strongest identification possible and um, to give digital signatures. And so issuing these cards to international business people around the world once they apply online. In the local embassy, I think now there's around 45 different embassies where you can, around the world, where you can pick up your card. After all the background checks are done and so on, because it's as tough as giving you an ID card. So bad guys don't think it's going to be an easy, uh, easy scheme. You will have to give your fingerprints. <laughs> but once you get this card, you could actually, absolutely location independently. In Estonia, It opened um, a company in just 18 minutes time and I've tested it up myself, it really works. 12 minutes I was thinking about the name because I was <laughs> a bit petrified, I didn't think about it before, I was so focused on like how do I get it done. Um, turned out much more easier uh, than I expected. And then uh, using the e-tax, so online tax declarations is very common for Estonian business people, but now all of these business management uh, services and options that the state is providing are available to international business people. And especially uh, the ones benefiting from that is SMEs freelancers, any kind of online businesses, um, anything connected with IT. So where location independence is the core factor for you. You don't want to be stuck to one country. You can do business in different countries. You can have uh, customers in different countries, but you still will be absolutely legal. Pretty transparent because we do exchange data about paid taxes with other countries to avoid double taxation and these kinds so it's not a tax evasion scheme uh, either because the taxes will be paid where the value is generated in this program but it really does provide uh, access to becoming um, really uh, location dependent uh, and provides access to financial service providers which for some countries is essential uh, difference uh, When we speak of countries like Ukraine or any post-Soviet country, in, well, some of them are better, but in a particular Ukraine case, uh, the local banks are not allowing people to accept credit card payments and PayPal doesn't work there. And when people want to have, have a legal company and pay taxes in Ukraine and live there and do business internationally, then they don't have the, the opportunities to do it. So that's why today there is uh, the largest amount of the companies established with the e-residency card comes from Ukraine. But initially, uh, Finland is also number one when it comes to the number of the e-residents. Then there is uh, Russia. Well, we don't have a double taxation thing there, but for obvious reasons, (laughs) I guess, they want to have business uh, in Europe. So first of all, it's access to the European market. for Asian or post-Soviet countries or countries with a very complicated bureaucratical regime or too much paperwork when you're a company, you have a paperless and very cheap option uh, to be legal, to do business, um, and not spend a fortune on it, living anywhere. Maybe in Bahamas.
0: <laughs> Maybe. Well, I know we're running short on time. And I would love to thank you for coming on to the day show and actually sharing this information with both myself and those listening, because I know it's it's something that people need to hear, and this is a great example for people to learn from. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm glad always to share our ideas and visions, and of course, everybody are much welcome to Estonia, but even more welcome to become e-residents. <laughs> So hopefully we'll have our quiet times. So, (laughs) like some people in Estonia say that we hope that our little gem is not, you know, found (laughs) by the world.
0: Well, by all means, you're most welcome to the Bahamas. If you're ever here, let me know. I'm sure we'll talk more.
1: (laughs) Yeah, thank you very much. And I hope everybody has a great day.
0: Likewise, take care.